Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin Out of the Box, and it's me, your host, Michael Gu. For this episode, we're talking about expanding blockchains, scaling blockchains such that they are very, very high performance to meet the demands of the next generation of decentralized applications that are currently being developed with the rise of applications such as decentralized finance and even blockchain gaming, we definitely need to scale to a phenomenal rate. And Elrond's got this cornered with not just sharding, but also the proof of stake network being launched this month. So in this call we have with Benjamin, the CEO of Elrond, we talk about how scaling on Elrond works and what to look out for and what are the precautions as well, how to get the scaling to the scale we need without having any flaws. Without further ado, introducing Benjamin from Elrond. Ben, um, it's, how, how do you describe Elrond? How, what would you be the elevator pitch? What would be the best, best way to summarize Elrond? First of all, um, uh, really, really great to, to have this conversation. Uh, so thanks for um, uh, inviting me. Um, and I'll just go ahead and uh, give the best idea of Elrond. Um, so we started Elrond because we want to essentially give anyone anywhere easy access to the digital economy. And what this actually means um, is we're focusing on specifically two things. First of all, we're building this new layer one protocol that brings a 1000x improvement in throughput, scalability, execution speed, and transaction costs. So that Elrond can now process more than 10,000 transactions per second with a five seconds latency and a 100x less cost than Bitcoin or Ethereum. This is the first um, step. We have a second step where we discovered that this is not enough and that in order to bring tens of millions of new people into the space, we essentially have to take all this great technology, make it invisible and bring it to the average internet user in a way that they interact with it, just like they interact with the email. Um, not knowing that they use the SMTP protocol, but rather using its benefits to send money um, anywhere in the world in an instance and at a negligible cost compared to, to all the other options. So um, first, it's this layer one architecture that is um, very, very scalable, uh, performant, and um, a lot less cost, uh, a lot more cost effective. And then um, it's this user interface that we've secretly built, have not discussed too much about, and people will soon uh, see and be able to test for themselves. That's really exciting. So it's actually a two front approach and two things. So one thing recently I've been using Ethereum and obviously you've seen scaling issues. I mean, transactions for an ERC20 token can cost like a dollar, which doesn't really make a lot of sense sometimes. Um, and obviously if you want to be cheap on gas, you can you have a slow transaction. So definitely quite excited for a thousand transactions per second. It's, it's 10,000, not 1,000. 10,000. <laughs> Thank you. Missing a zero there. So I think the second aspect is interesting. So you're, you're talking about how blockchain 
it's a little bit hard to understand. And we explore a little bit into that as well. Like what, what kind of techniques are you building? What do you want to be integrated into this to kind of become more user-friendly? Um, the, the first part essentially um, is brought forward. This kind of 1000x improvement um, is brought forward by two important breakthroughs that we've been working on for more than two and a half years now. The first one is adaptive state sharding. So the idea that you can parallelize transaction processing so that the network can effectively process significant more throughput. And then the second um, thing that is really, really um, interesting and effective over time is that you can start with a network that has only two shards and in real time grow the number of shards so that you can effectively um, grow the number of transactions that you can process from 10,000 to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands if they're needed. Now, if they're not needed, on the other hand, you do not... um, have the costs of running multiple shards and wasting energy and so forth. So you're not only scalable, but also super efficient as an architecture. Um, And the second component is secure proof of stake. With proof of stake, the first point is obviously that you take um, away the energy and computational waste problem that comes with uh, proof of work that becomes unsustainable the larger you grow. Um, And the, the second and third components are you can process these transactions really fast, not having to wait for minutes as as in Bitcoin or Ethereum. And then the third point, which is critical for the Elrond architecture is security. So we have this consensus that is based on random sampling of the consensus group. So out of 500 validators in every round, you have 61 validators that are randomly chosen. Um, uh, They propose and validate a block and then they are reshuffled so that in any uh, one round, you have a different random group that is created. And this prevents you from attacking the network very effectively because you do not know who will be in the consensus group. And once you know, um, you only have a very, very short time frame. Now, together, this two not only give you the scalability I was mentioning where you can process more than 10,000 transactions per second, but you can do it in a very efficient manner um, at a very low cost and then with pretty high security so that you can preserve the structure of the network and and, um, use it in a real-world setting. Going to the second part uh, that you mentioned, uh, we we essentially understood that even if you solve this very, very important performance problem, which can be viewed by maybe the users as the transition from dial-up to broadband that happened in the internet era, you still have a much larger elephant in the room, which has not been properly tackled yet. It's like most people do not even see how large this elephant is, and this is user experience. So um, for, for as long as the normal user um, barely barely can use passwords. So what we essentially do, uh, and I don't want to spoil the the, uh, launch of the interface, obviously, is we try to make everything related to uh, to, to blockchain invisible. Uh, 
So you don't have to interact in any way with private public keys. You don't have to interact in any new way with security. You don't have to waste energy on anything related to blockchain specific. All you should be able to focus on, just as you do with email, is doing your stuff. In the case of email, you just send a message to whoever you want super easily. In, in Elrond's um, case with the interface, you'll be able to send money anywhere in the world in an instant with 100x less cost. So that's very interesting. Very interesting proposition. I think there's a lot of secrecy there. I do want to just um, turn gears, shift gears a little bit and just talk about the speed. And my biggest question, my biggest concern, I think going into this is not just speed, but also stability. How have you dealt with this issue? Is it stable? Is it safe? Have you tested it? We've spent... More than um, one year now, um, improving the structure of the sharding architecture that we built. I would add that Elrond is perhaps the most advanced state sharded architecture. We've seen even in the blockchain space some sharding architectures, but they have not been state sharded. And the state sharding problem is extremely difficult to solve, but once solved, um, the most important thing is to refine the final details. So we've had the sharded architecture that was working with cross-shard transactions for more than one year. And in, during all this period of time, we just spent a lot of time rethinking different components, making sure that it gets super, super stable over time that we stress tested in different scenarios. And actually, so... so you're yeah. at that stage, you're so, at the stage of the mainnet right now. So you, you've done part of the trial by fire. You fixed the issues. You optimized over a year already. So now your two mainnet launch, what's happening? Uh, we are super, super excited because we have more than 1,700 people, uh, nodes from all over the world already part of the network. The structure of the mainnet launch usually, um, not, not usually, but will go out with two shards plus meta chain. Why this specific shards, uh, this specific stru structure? It's because you have you want to have 10,000 transactions per second possibility from day one. Mm -hmm. So we want to achieve this and to do this, we've taken the time to um, educate and discuss, communicate with the validators, help them get familiar with the network, help them stress test it. And they in turn have helped us tremendously to improve it, to discover things that um, were not clear or could be actually uh, improved even further. And so right now we're just preparing after all this time where um, the progress has been building up, we're just preparing for this official mainnet launch and uh, we'll have a few more days of um, network testing. What we said with the Battle of Nodes is specifically this idea where, where once the network runs for 15 days without any interruption, any kind of um, downtime and so forth, and you cannot take it down anymore because no bugs, you, you cannot find any more bugs. At that point, we know um, empirically by testing it that the network is robust enough to really go live.
And so with each new day, we basically discovered a few more things. We made probably one or two releases, new releases a day mm. with different small things that we've discovered. Um, we also have already four attacks, really interesting attacks that from, from more sophisticated people that try to tr take the network down and discover some particular things. And uh, I, I would say that we have $60,000 that we've put specifically in bounties for people that help us uh, through this process, take the network down. And the more bugs uh, we discover, the more problems we discover during this time, we will be super excited because this means that there will not be uh, as many bugs or super, super few bugs during the mainnet, uh, once the mainnet is live. And this is uh, the goal with the Battle of Nodes. Awesome. That's great. Congrats for the success of that. It was really fun to be participating. Now, moving on. So once you have a node, I think a lot of my audience, we've been talking about passive income a lot, and you'll be actually able to generate Elrond as part of a validator or as a part of a delegation. So I've seen the rewards for that, and that's actually quite huge. So this is good and bad, obviously, for the hodler. It's always great to have more and more income, but also it creates a pressure on the system. I mean, the more Elrond that gets distributed to stakeholders, obviously there's more sell pressure there potentially can be. So how, how did you arrive to this number? Why do you think it's perfect and why did you choose it? The idea here is that you have different phases in the lifetime of a network. The first phase is particularly very important because it's the bootstrapping phase. Mm. If you cannot pick up sufficient interest, then there will not be a future. So th then it becomes super critical that you pick up sufficient interest, um, given so many different options, um, become interesting as an option for larger and curious validators. And then after that, optimize for the second step, which is becoming sustainable. So given, given these ideas in mind, we set some very specific um, targets and there will be an economics paper that uh, will come out very soon. But Elrond will be the optimal um, architecture to give you not only initial very competitive interests for the uh, validator you're running uh, and rewards there, but also a fixed supply that will not go beyond a certain number so that everything is super predictable. And if you're the type of guy who understands what a deflationary economic model brings as an effect, then um, you'll be super excited to see that Elrond has not only thought about the bootstrapping process, but then it will have a rapidly decay, uh, decaying reward such that we move from a point where validators are in to an adoption and growth model via adoption, right? Because we have, we have the system where you start with an, an issuance per year, and then as you pass from year, to, year one to three, year three, and then year five and so forth, the issuance decreases gradually and then reaches a point where there's no issuance anymore. And this will happen during a, a time frame of 10 years. But during the same time frame, we assume something very um, specific to happen. 
adoption to pick up and we have an, a model where through which if you have enough adoption let's say for year one uh, for a specific um, issuance of 7.5 percent per year as reward rate we require a necessary throughput of about 1000 transactions per second roughly to cover all these issuance out of feeds so this is something that uh, where you do not only have a fixed supply with a deflationary economic model then staking applied on top of it but then you also have a model to transition from the issuance to sustainability which in the case of let's say bitcoin it does not exist after the issuance is done uh, bitcoin doesn't for now have a model through which it will incent keep the incentives flowing for the validators so in l other than fees other than fees i mean there, exactly. there are fees other than fees exactly right. um i i would still say uh, just two things for the validators maybe what they're interested in is uh, the minimum stake for becoming a validator at least at first is 2.5 million elrons um, this is mm. uh, super super easy to to have in mind and then rewards are 36 percent apr if you're an, a validator uh, at least at the beginning and then 29 percent if you're a delegator um, and then coming back to the future of elrond um, i think this is the point where um, Elrond will differentiate itself very, very much from the alternatives because uh, we're trying to see essentially coming back to the vision, how we could give everyone, anyone, anywhere, easy access to the digital economy. So during the next few years, we'll see three directions that we will focus on. First of all, this kind of user experience direction will be super core to what we do at Elrond. And we in, indeed um, try to target 1 million users for this user interface that we are going to ship very soon. So we are super, super yeah, excited. target for ourselves. Nice, nice. Yeah. How do you achieve yeah. that target? 1 million. All right. Cool. Sounds great. But how, how, but how guys? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you'll soon see how. Um, the second point is for the network to really pick up adoption, we've prepared a few uh, really important things. First of all, you have the performance layer and you'll be able to build um, almost anything you want from a, from a use case or application standpoint. More than that, we've built two frameworks that will enable a lot more developers to come in. First, we have a Rust framework that allows you to build smart contracts in many different languages and allows you to build them on Elrond really fast. This is the first starting point. And then we also have a TypeScript um, uh, framework that will come out during the next period. Again, making the smart contract idea available to a lot a larger pool of developers, just because it's not about solidity anymore or something closed, but TypeScript, which is very close to JavaScript, and then allows a lot more developers to interact with it. To tie into this, uh, we'll also have 30% royalty fees built in for all smart contracts so that any developer that can build something which is cool and picks adoption will make with each transaction through process by his smart contract, make 
start making money so that they oh. don't have to come up with a token. Go ahead. That sounds very interesting. So is that is that so it's almost like a developer reward, right? So if they make a contract that just blows up, it's really fun, whether it be a fun game, a DeFi project, or anything, the transactions on there, um, 30% of that will go to the developer. But does that mean it's almost like developer tax then? Does it make the the, the, the does it punish the user in that case? No, uh, not at all. The idea is to reward to split the transaction that would go be, uh, among the network participants the validators and so forth and put it put the incentives in a way that there's a super strong incentive for developers to come in build something uh, cool and have the feedback loop immediately show up because you don't need any kind of approval you not don't need any kind of discussion, if you think you can build something that could have adoption and it really does, then you're making money from day one, as soon as the first transactions comes in, which is, uh, I, I think, super important for developers. Definitely, definitely. It's, all, it's always, always about incentives right there. And so you have that built in to drive adoption. You have as many languages as, as possible and you have quite a lot of kind of various incentives that just allow um, the project to grow. So in that sense, what about partnerships? I've seen a few partnerships in there. How strong are these partnerships? How, what do they actually mean? Exactly. We have um, a few really large partnerships and then a lot of very ambitious projects that are trying to bring something new to the market. Um, among the large partnerships, there's Samsung. Obviously, um, Samsung is, is the largest um, one of the largest companies in, in Korea. With them, we have an integration of Elrond, of the Elrond token in the Samsung wallet, and then an integration of a game we've developed with the Elrond token that is already present in the Samsung DApp Store. Nice. Um, this, is, this is super exciting uh, because it opens up the door for a lot more fruitful um, collaborations with them. Um, in addition to Samsung, we also have Binance, uh, which with which we've done a lot of things, but specifically the Binance BUSD stablecoin will be mm -hmm. present on the Elrond mainnet as soon as the mainnet is live. Oh, nice. Now, we, we already have the smart contract written and deployed on Elrond, already testing it. Uh, so this is, this is just a matter of launching the mainnet and then starting to see how an artist architecture like Elrond would allow them to uh, process everything at a much cheaper um, transaction cost and then a lot faster. And beside uh, Samsung and Binance, we also have some collaborations with Dubai and maybe 30 other projects uh, and uh, startups that are trying to either build on Elrond, integrate some of the components that Elrond has. And uh, we're also working with a few projects that will likely um, maybe even do a, um, an initial coin offering on Elrond and then integrate um, the Elrond token into their ecosystem. So we are excited about that as well. 
So it looks like you've been working hard to get those partners up. So once the mainland launches, there's a lot of activity there. That's actually really exciting. So guys, definitely take the time to check out the Elrond network and check out the dating status. And I'll give you guys a mini look at what it is kind of composed of. So guys, thank you guys so much for watching this episode. If you guys have any questions as well, leave them in the comment section below. We'll be have a great discussion and join, of course, the Telegram channel as well to check out the Battle of the Nodes and the mainnet deployment. So, Ben, thank you so much for coming in today. I'll see you next time. Super. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.